0: I rather believe the unbelievable of God's word than believe in lie. Your know, humility is, is to take is God's, God's word as it is. When you speak in tongues, and you may not in tongues. This is Young Ecclesian Nation. Homes and prophecy go These guys who the Holy Ghost, they are just speaking tongues. I mean, tongues, I don't care who, no, no, in this no, thing, the no, 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 Bible says, no, it, no, says no, it, I believe it. Let I believe your heart be flooded with light as you listen to the word of God in ministration by Pastor Ududu Essien. God bless you. Write everything down. Don't leave out. Hi guys, how are you? Welcome to another episode of Musings with Mr. Essien. That's me. How are you? How was your day? Okay, so today I'm I'm pretty excited because we are going to be sharing some more things that I I feel are very important in God's Word, and I trust that as you are listening, as you're listening, you will actually. Um, come to grasp some things that are essential for you in the faith amen let's just pray father in the name of jesus we just thank you we bless your name and just, we just ask you to grant to us the wisdom and revelation that is in our spirits grant us understanding open our eyes to see the truth from your word and let us be changed forever let us not just hear but be doers of your word in jesus name amen glory to god so we're still on the timothy series and um the last time we looked at the uh, first timothy chapter 5 where we looked at uh, widows elders and some other things in the church now of course it's good to remind you that these things were written to timothy who was a young pastor but then they are by um by generalization they are written to us as the body of christ and so when you look at that obviously being a pastor means means to be responsible obviously And so, you should be seeing yourself inside this post or (laughs) inside the epistles. Some people have a very uh, wonderful way of exempting themselves, saying they're talking about them and they don't make it personal. But when you study the epistles, you should see yourself in it because it's actually referring to you. Amen. Glory to God. All right, let's jump right in. So, 1 Timothy 6, please get your Bibles and study alongside, and I'm sure you'll be mighty blessed. All right, so it says, let us. Many um bond servants Okay, I, I said I would not use I'm going to use the um NIV translation because it's just um I studied with the New King James and the K J V, but then the NIV just at times is just way better to use. It just gives you a straightforward path. All right. So it says here all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. Wow. So that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. So He's talking to those who are slaves. Now, let's see why he's even talking to them. He says, those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. So the first thing you should see is that he's actually addressing slavery. Now, in no way does God actually condone slavery. You need to understand that. And if you look into the Old Testament the arguments of people, you know, where you see that it was as if God was the one that told them to take slaves. That's another topic and subject for another time where we would actually delve deeply into what really happened in the Old Testament. But the New Testament for, for those of you who don't know is a revelation of the old. It's actually a revelation of the old. If you read Ephesians chapter I think three, Ephesians chapter three explains um that Paul was talking and he said that the offic- that he had received revelation of a mystery and if you look in at other passages that talk about mystery in the New Testament, you will actually come to a corroborative conclusion that the mystery there was talking about the Old Testament and so he actually received a revelation of the mystery you know that the New Testament, most of it was written by Paul now when we say New Testament, um, I hope you are aware that the New Testament is not the difference between Malachi and Matthew in your Bible The New Testament is actually talking about the new covenant, or when we receive the Spirit of God, when there was a new relationship with God, and that is found in, you know, in the epistles. The epistles are the explanation of that relationship. The Book of Acts is the explanation of the, no, not the explanation. It is the historical account of that of that new dispensational era. Amen. So, God does not you know advocate for slavery slavery is um slavery is not it's not pardonable it's it's not nice uh, nobody will want to be a slave but however what god here is talking about is if you find yourself in a particular situation where you are a slave so these are slaves who probably got saved now he's saying look don't despise your master the, the point is that the person is still your master you know that is the state in which you met the man that is the state in which you know you are you are he is your master, you are the slave now. So, the point is that at that point, the, the master here could not, might not be born again, might not be a believer. And so, in that case, he's saying to him that, Look, I'm saying to the slave that, Look, just serve, don't now begin to do gra gra. You understand? Don't begin to behave in a certain way because you're a slave. You get, he's saying now, he says that, that the reason for that is actually that so that god's name and our teaching may not be slandered obviously he must have written this because there were slaves who getting born again were advocating for freedom and all those things it's not about to advocate for freedom but at the time they were slavery was still a very much in thing and so he was saying to them that look you're a slave huh i know you're a slave but then the thing is in that capacity you've not received your freedom so serve in that capacity serve god in that capacity do it honorably amen so, he now said that teaching may not be slandered because in other words, they teach, if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, goodness, from Galatians 5.22, you'll see that that is the disposition of a believer in every relationship that, or, that he or she is. The fruit of the Spirit, which actually is just summarized in love. That is the disposition or the wisdom of God for relationships. Whether it's a slave-master relationship, whether it's a husband-wife relationship, whether it's a father-children relationship, love is actually the way you conduct your relationships. Um, many books have been written on relationships but not so many on the walk of love, amen okay now, so he's saying that you might, our teaching may not be slandered in other words, there people that could say, hey, look have you ever heard that, say, see what you're teaching your people you know, I've, I've had this experience many times, especially doing youth ministry where you see parents or pe- some people where they evaluate your effectiveness by the behavior of their children, so if their children behave better they say I ah, know whatever his teaching is working is working. When they behave badly, they say no, what are is this what they're teaching you? Is that what I'm what a man is teaching you? But you know, which is not supposed to be so, it's not how you actually evaluate evaluate the effectiveness of ministry or the ministry of a person to your life. People have choices and they can choose not to follow with what you've taught them. So in this case, he's saying Paul is saying, Look, behave yourself. Why? Because so that our teaching may not be blasphemed, so that you know they won't say that we are the ones to do this thing because the people that are just based on, on your behavior, they can disconnect them from actually connecting to God just because of your behavior. You know, people people are very unforgiving in that aspect. there's a certain way you could behave and say, ah, you is you say you're a Christian, they are behaving like this here. This is what it means to be a Christian. I don't even want the game. Go away. <laughs> Amen. So it's actually about, you know, and and this really goes across board. It goes across in your fellowships, in your schools in in every way, if I in the workplace, there's a way you behave, right? Even if you are in a position where you are um disadvantaged, but there's still a way to to conduct yourself, to comport yourself, so that people, so that you know, because what we're defending here is the faith, we're contending for the faith, being born again. You know, we don't want the name of Jesus to be slandered. In fact, if you are being persecuted for anything, it should be that persecuted for godly and not godly things and not ungodly things. You understand? Not that they catch you with a girl or a guy and everything, and they, say, they begin to flog you. you say, ah, they're persecuting me. Uh, no. It has to be for genuine reasons. Amen? So it says, verse 2, Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better. So in this case, you have a place where the master, your, the, the slave's master is not a Christian. Oh, sorry, he's a brother, brother, a Christian. So most likely, he's a slave. This guy's a slave, and then they're going to go to church together, all those things. And the slave will be asking the question, "Ah, but you're a Christian, why are you still keeping me here? You understand? Now, in those days, you need to understand that slave trade was serious money. And even till recently sir. even we hear that this is Liberia, they're still selling human beings as slaves because... And it's a very it was a very valuable trade, human lives. And so obviously, there's some believers who even when they get saved, they refuse to renew their minds to the point where they can actually let their slaves go. You know, they still want to hold on to their slaves. So what? You know, that's bad. But Paul is saying, yes, you the one who is a slave, don't now say because I'm, I'm both believers, I, I should behave anyhow. You know, spark for the guy even, even tell the guy yeah, you are not know, a Christian, why are you still keep him here and all those things you know he's saying that look that you should see it as an opportunity to serve you see there's a way many times in christianity love does not insist on its own right i know we are in an era of rights everybody owns that right and it's a good thing there's nothing wrong with wanting you know demanding your rights in situations and all that there's nothing wrong with that but many times uh, being born again actually means that you lose your rights that's actually what it means being born again is, you know means that you are choosing to lose your rights you're actually choosing you know for example like there's some things that you could just do or someone could do and then you don't say anything someone insults you, you don't say anything you turn the other cheek you understand you know so there's the idea of saying ah this person will look at me somehow they'll look at me somehow you understand they'll look at me somehow and that that can be something else so it's very um okay i was actually speaking about the, the case where you know you could looked at it as a fool as a fool for doing something um for, for, for turning the other chick or, chick or being good being kind even in the face of wrong things this person has wronged you but you choose to be kind or benevolent or good to the person you know it could actually be looked at like ah, this person is not a, this person is, is a fool a moo-moo. do you understand but the point is that you lose your being a Christian actually means that you don't insist on your own rights in fact love does not insist on its own rights it doesn't I'm not saying you let people take advantage of you, but I'm saying there's a fair balance there where it's not really about you, but about others. You you, you put others first. You understand? You put others first. And so he's saying in this case that as the servant, uh, then this person is the master. He says, look, I, the, the person is behaving that like he's wrong to behave like that, oh, but still just treat him with respect, you know, honor the person. And even said better because, you know, in this case, this was even a Christian, so you have the on you know, just the same way you would serve another Christian brother, serve you know him in that capacity. The same thing with a boss, yes, and your work, and you have a harsh boss or you have a harsh lecturer, and he's a Christian. I asked, Don't you know you should actually do better? The your disposition towards that person should still be love, you know, regardless of how you're being treated, still just walk in love towards the person. And I know it's the same, I sound like a very, very silly instruction, but then it's the scriptures, amen. We're not inventing he says these are the things you are to teach and insist on. You see, Paul is telling Timothy, teach and insist on these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are considered and understand nothing. Obviously, part of this, um, if you look at it, you actually see that chapter 5 is a flow into chapter six, that beginning of chapter six when he talks about slaves is actually part of chapter five. You need to understand because if you look at the flow, remember chapter five was talking about um widows, then he spoke about slaves, and it spoke about elders, about how you you know, um your how you behave towards each one, how each one should behave and all those things and how you as a pastor should behave towards them. Then he now talks about slaves. So it's a flow. It's not like um it's not you know, chapters and verses are very can be very very distracting. The, it was said that the person who actually put chapters and verses in the Bible that he w- there's a time that a friend of his recorded that he was on a horse and the horse was galloping and galloping and you know as he's galloping he will not you know his hand could not move he just puts down the chapter he just puts down as a verse and so you have to have some wisdom when you are studying it that you should also consider it's called the rule of context consider the verses before it the chapter before it sometimes consider the whole book before it. Okay, so let's move on. So um, it says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, and malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to gain. So it basically talks about those who reject the truth. You know, and it has some very harsh words for them. Say they are unhealthy. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels. So you see, Paul actually wrote this letter to Timothy to set that church, set the churches in order. You know, it's more like reminders and instructions. This is what you should do. This is what you should do. This is what you should do. So he's actually talking about those who resist such instructions. That those people are, you know, as I said here, they have interest in controversies, quarrels you know about words that result in envy stripes in other words these people are filled with the flesh because if you look at galatians chapter five galatians chapter five let's go there where the fruit of the spirit are listed you actually see that there's a fruit of the flesh listed also galatians chapter five it says here verse nineteen, it says now the works of the flesh are envied evidence, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention. see that jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, evil murders, so envy murders and all the rest. So you can see it's a fruit of the flesh. Now that's actually when we say the flesh, we don't talk we don't mean your flesh. We're actually just talking about um your emotions, basically. Your emotions, the way you feel, you know, naturally, even when you're born again, you still tend to feel, you know, on the outside, you still tend to feel the same way as before you got born again. You still have emotions that want to go wild, you know, you still have a lean to do the wrong thing. But the thing is that you have a new spirit. So you Bible says you have, you have a new recreated human spirit and that spirit is of God. And so your nature on the inside has changed and that nature should affect the outside. And so these are people that are b- believers but they have refused to let the nature on the inside affect the outside. Now he now says something interesting. It says, who have been robbed, that's verse 5, who has been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. They think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So let me say this, that when we talk about godliness, being a Christian many times, <laughs> okay, let's start with salvation. There's a profound statement that I love and I'll say it again, that whatever anybody can get without being saved is not a benefit of salvation whatever anybody can get without being saved is not a benefit of salvation amen now the reason i say that is because if you look at it money for example people are rich without being born again there's the Tangotis, the bill gates of this world warren buffets steve jobs um uh, zuckerberg these are the richest people in the world literally trump okay trump is a christian now you have all these people. Now they are not born again. They have money. Now I know sometimes we, we say that they went and, and did this and did that. Yes, in some cases people have gone to do diabolical things. But there are many that is just common sense why they are rich. Someone like Bill Gates is rich because he's providing value. In fact, that's how money comes. Money comes by providing value, by offering, preferring solutions to people. If someone has a problem that is bugging them, they will be willing to pay to make their lives easier. Bill Gates is rich because you have a laptop on your system on, on your on you know a laptop or, or a PC that's running Windows. That's why Bill Gates is rich. Bill Gates is rich because you use Microsoft Word and Excel and other software. That's why Bill Gates is rich. Because almost everybody on the planet is using what he provided as a solution to everyday life problems. And so obviously everybody paid for that. That's the whole point. So many he's rich and so someone like Buffett or Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg is really really rich because almost everybody's on Facebook. So the point is that that's how wealth comes wealth comes by adding value now of course when you are born again even when you are not born again there are financial miracles that we've seen in the bible financial miracles happened you know Elijah was fed supernaturally you know by a raven and then a woman at the time that the the jar of dough and oil just never finished there are supernatural interventions in finances yes it's true but that is not the benefit of salvation even unbelievers can get a breakthrough financially so you you don't get saved because you want a financial breakthrough. You don't get saved because you want a job. You don't even get saved because you want to be healed. Everybody Jesus healed was not born again. None of them was saved. Yes, none of them was born again. So they were healed regardless of of you know. So healing is is not for is not unique to believers. Unbelievers can get healed, but believers are the ones who carry the healing power. Amen. So there is a difference in that. So so these people here he's talking about are people who have actually begun to see godliness as a means of gain, in other words, it means that they are they are seeing um oh i 'm saved so that I can get something oh God, this is why i 'm coming to God so He can give me this, and they actually preach it, which is the worst you know the worst part they they actually um you know preach these things places i don 't want to comment too much on on the body of Christ where you see this happening where lots of people come to God because of what they can get from him and not not because of, you know, the fact they just want to know him. Because if you look at it, the Bible calls the church the pillar and ground of truth. Church is a school to learn about God and be trained for the work of ministries. Those two things. You come to learn about God's salvation, what Jesus did for you on the cross. And And then the second thing is that you come to be trained for the work of ministry, which is actually to train others in the knowledge of Christ. And it just goes on and on like that. that's that it's at its simplest. And so when we begin to complicate things and we begin to say that, Oh, you know, come to Jesus because you'll get this, that does actually mislead people and it's a very bad thing because you you can have sell someone a very skewered image of God that the person will just not get rid of in a very long time. Even till to today many people still see God that way, that God is just this okay good wire. You know, I mean prayers for example, people see prayer as a way to get things. I remember I once went to um, a university one, where one of our Yen Fellowships is and um, I told them that I said that salvation has nothing to do with getting anything from God. In fact, the only the, what you receive, the major thing you receive is the salvation, forgiveness of sins. It's about forgiveness of sins. I told them and one girl asked us, one girl asked the question. Even after I said it, a girl asked, ah, so why are we now saved? Because she had been programmed her entire life to believe that being saved was so they can get special benefits from God that unbelievers don't have, but it's not true. There's there are special benefits, you understand? Forgiveness of sin, amen? You are back here in God's family, God's child, God's son, is your father. You know, you have an inheritance, the gift of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the nature of God, there's so many things that come with it. You understand? Authority, These are benefits, but material things are not in the category or list. Because if you want to look at who is even richer than who, unbelievers are richer than believers. The biggest church in the world today, an unbeliever can buy it. Buy the whole church. That's a rich unbeliever, very rich, can buy the whole church, buy everything, all the property, buy everything. We just sign a check and it will not even dent his account. So, that should tell you something that it's not about. Um, coming to God is not. So, these people are there that they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. In other words, they will gain something from serving God. Look, don't think like that. Amen. If you think like that, don't think like that. It's not about that. It's way more than that. Amen. It's way more than that. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. You see that? So, this one's good things that. Like that godliness is a means to get more so there's greed in there but he says godliness with contentment is the gain they want financial gain but he's saying here that the gain is to be godly being saved and you know living out a godly life you know and being content is the gain is actually gain so salvation is more of the gain godliness is the gain being content is the gain is not it's not financial making money making money is good money runs the world but the point of it is that um being content contentment means that you're just okay now um are we saying you should not be ambitious or, or want things of course you should want things you should want things you should in fact you should want a better life than the one you already have you should want something better but the point is contentment just is you know contentment is like is literally opposite of greed because there's a way that you can actually want more things in an unhealthy manner and you just must have them you are desperate you know sometimes some of this motivational speaking we do is actually not christ where sometimes it's like oh you must want to succeed more than anything it's not true no there are things that you can drop success for there are things that that matter more than financial success in this life health is there for example if you are healthy you know, if you're, you if someone is sick, he will he would give all his wealth just to be healthy. Family is there, amen. Family is there, and so by having family, um, you know, if you have family, you know, those things come before money. Many people put money before all those things, and that's where you know when money becomes your number one pursuit, at the expense of many other things, they are becoming greedy. You know, some people have sold their mothers for money. Some people have sold their brothers and sisters into slavery for money. You know, they've done rituals and things like that for money. The moment that your your desire for money becomes very unhealthy and it becomes, you know, I will do anything for it. You know, it your driving force. Look, money is a good thing, but money is a tool. Contentment has a lot to do with understanding that. Money is a tool. So, at the state where I am, I'm good. I, I strive for more, but if I don't have more, I don't break my head. But, I, you know, I strive to get more. But the point also is, why am I getting the money? Some people see money as an end. But money is a means to an and money is a tool. You're going to see here what you know when what Paul really explains as contentment. Amen. So he says here, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Are you seeing that? He says we brought nothing. This is actually something that will keep you sane. The fact that you brought nothing into this world and you will take nothing out. That that alone can reset your thinking. That look, I came in naked. I came in nothing. I mean that every single thing I have will end here. Every single thing that I have will end here. All money. Think of everything you own. Look around your room. If you're in your room right now, look at your shoes. Look at your clothes. Look at everything. Everything will belong to someone else. Everything you have here, nothing will go with you. You won't have it forever. As you leave this earth, that is the end. It won't belong to you anymore. The bed you lie on will not belong to you the house you live in even if you build the house will not belong to you someone else will take it someone else will have it so imagine his argument here is that you toil your entire life you toil your whole life for something that you will discard something that will never you know you won't take with you when you die and that's what you're, you make your entire life about your whole life is about money money is good but money has its place you no know, jesus said no one can serve two masters we're talking about money he says he will love one and you know despise the other the point is you can either save money or you can serve god god is always number one and that's why i like there's some songs that say god over money and i like that some people you know especially with lots of these hip-hop songs coming out that talk, that talk about you know money over everything money over everything uh, it's not true anybody who lives like that is a dangerous person and we're going to see from the explanations of paul you know, Bible study is really about explaining things, digging into the scriptures and explaining things from the scriptures. Amen. Now, I would like to make um, some reference to something um, else that will help really enrich this topic. Okay, so let's move over to, I think it's Matthew. Let me see. It should be Matthew. Yes. Um. Okay, it's actually Luke. Now, Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, verse 15. It says, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Covetousness. You know, that's greed. You know, f- it, it, here in the Greek, it actually speaks about fraudulence. Being fraudulent, you know, greed. You can actually say it's covetousness. This wanting somebody's own thing at all cost. In other words, the reason you want something is because someone else has it. You know, it becomes like competition. It, it's like, it, you know, Wanting to best the other person, wanting to you must have it at all costs to be you must want it as covetousness, and one of the commandments in the Bible uh, you should not covet now it says for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Your life is not about what you own. A lot of people make their lives about the things that they own. Oh, I have a house, I have a job, I have shoes, I have a girlfriend, I have a wife, I have children. Do you know some people that their pride comes from the fact that they have children? And they despise people who don't have. And now, look, you need to understand that you cannot only see um things like covetousness or, and pride, you know, and greed just in people who are rich, but people who are poor. For example, have you noticed now? This is not all gates men, but there are some gate men like that. That the way they hail you when you come with a very serious ride, a car, yeah, car power the were sir. What does that you know? Because they are expecting to, so you will give them something you understand they want something they want something so they are but the moment you come let's just walk through the gates you drop the gas let's walk through the gate. they don't even look at yourself that's actually someone that is greed waiting to manifest <laughs> you understand that's actually greed waiting to manifest they are, they are excited at those kinds of things he says your life does not consist it's not about the things you own or possess it's not about those things some people have made their lives about acad- you know even you know academic pursuits can be a possession phd and all those things are have so they get their sense of value their sense of self-worth their sense of you know being of of um you know their sense of life their sense of self-worth they are worth something because of what they own or who they know some people can boast they keep boasting about who they know i know bill gates i know Dangote, i know the president i know this they are, they are puffed up because of those things the moment you take those connections those links from them they are gone they are finished the question is you as you are Is your life about the things that you own and have? If if all those things you have are taken from you, can you still be a happy person? Does your happiness come from the things that you have or is it about who you are as a believer? If your happiness comes from the things that you possess, the things that you own, you are going to be very miserable because when those things are not there, you will be the most miserable person. And the the, the funny thing also is that people who also own stuff, there are people who own things, have cars, houses, they are still not happy. So don't think that because till I get that new phone that I'll be totally, fully happy. No, the happiness will come and it will fade. Amen? Okay, so this is the conclusion of the first part of this teaching. And I will see you guys in the next part of it. I hope you are blessed. God bless you and have a great day.